morning. My name is Chet, and our passage this morning is in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got, a, got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them because they were all like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what? They asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have? He asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so that they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. We all survived the great storm of 2024. Congratulations. Um, I'm pleased to say the church didn't flood too much. Um, we, had, we had a little bit, but Mitch and team have, have recovered us nicely. Um, so awesome to be here with you. My name's Gabe. If we haven't met, um, I'm one of the pastors here. would love to have a conversation with you if I've had a chance to do that after service. It was uh, 2017, and I was in the heart of ancient Jerusalem, a magical place, and I'll never forget what that felt like. There was crowds of people swirling around me, a hum of, of talking and noise as I wove my way to this little kiosk to pick up the traditional skullcap, or as it's known in Hebrew, the kippah, required for men and Jewish custom if you're entering into a holy place. And so donning this uh, new headgear, I peered up at this massive stone wall in front of me. And the rough-hewn stones were, were absolutely massive. Some were like small houses that were stacked on top of each other. And as I got closer, I could see the ridges of each stone. And interspersed kind of in the cracks of the stones, there were these resilient plants that were growing and holding on for dear life in the seams. And I thought... If only these stones could talk the stories that they could tell. This is the Western Wall. Uh, it's the final remnant of the temple uh, in the heart of Jerusalem, constructed a full two centuries before the birth of Christ. And for the Jewish people, this is a sacred site. 
where they come and they pray and they lay hands on the stone. And as they put hands on the stone, they remember that their lives are caught up in a bigger story, in an ancient story. And they remember the past, the temple that once towered over the city, a monument to the favor and to the very presence of God. And at the same time, they lament its destruction two times, actually, and all that that meant for their ancestors. And as they do all of that, they anticipate a future where God will reign once more as king. And all of that experience kind of came flooding to me in that moment in 2017. And so for the Jewish people and for me on that one sweltering summer day in Jerusalem, the Western Wall is a place where story converges. I don't know if you have places like that in your own story, a a place that you go and you're reminded of an important part of a bigger story that somehow shaped you in your life. We all need those kinds of places, I think, as we navigate life because we're reminded that the activities of our lives take place in the context of a much bigger story. God has been at work in the world for a very, very long time, and he is at work in it still. What a necessary and a provocative statement that is. Have you thought about that? God is always at work around you. You know, in a world that often has me convinced, and maybe you too, that either I'm on the one hand powerless to shape the events of my life or anything significant about my life because I'm just a victim of circumstance and happenstance. Life just kind of happens to me. That's the one thing the world can convince you of. The other reality that it can convince you of is that uh, you're complete, re- completely responsible and totally alone in the pursuit of the good life. And both of those things aren't true. You're, you're not a victim of circumstance and you're not totally in control of your life either. But we need to be reminded each day that our little stories are part of a bigger story. And someone once told me uh, a profound truth that has just stuck with me is that each morning when you wake up, from sleep, you enter into a world that hasn't stopped moving, and you enter into work that's already underway. Have you thought about that? That as you sleep, surprise, the world didn't stop. As you lay unconscious, unable to contribute anything to your life, there was a world with a lot of things happening, and there was a God at work in it. For the scriptures teach us that there's a God, our God, who does not slumber or sleep, and he's actively shaping the events of the world. And this is what we deeply believe as Christ followers, that God just didn't wind up the world and set it in motion and leave us to our own devices, but that he's actively involved in history, shaping the events of the world. And so in that moment when my hands in 2017 met that craggy stone wall, the reality that God is always at work around us became so real for me. And that's the first reality that we're going to explore in this series we've entitled Experiencing God. And I wonder if you ever thought about that truth, that God is at work around you. He's always at work around you shaping your world, shaping your context. Why is that such an important truth um, to know? 
Um, well, if we want to experience God to be really captivated by his presence, to hear his voice and follow his direction, we have to understand this truth. It starts with taking in this idea that God is always at work because that shapes the context of every event of our life. If that's true, then nothing that happens occurs in isolation. None of your success, your joy, your connection to others, your community, nor your losses, your pain, or your suffering takes place in a vacuum devoid of divine presence. Have you thought about that? That's a profound idea. Nothing in your life happens in a vacuum. It all happens in a context of a larger story of a good God who's shaping something. And I think sometimes this is one of those that we kind of assent to in our heads and go, I know that, but do we know that here? Do we live out of that reality each day? And if we don't, what would it look like if we did? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But to look at that... I want us to take a look at a story that we're familiar with that we just read. Chet read the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And actually, it was a story of a feeding of about 25,000 because back in those days, they only counted the men. Don't blame me for that. I didn't make that up. Um, But there was women and there was children, and that was about 25,000 people that would have been there that day. And if you remember that story, uh, it begins with the disciples uh, just coming off of a ministry tour, it says. This is when Jesus sent them out to do ministry. And so they come back and it says they're exhausted and they're hungry and they just want to tell Jesus everything that they had seen and done. And so they get in a boat and their plan, and this was actually Jesus's plan, is to take them on a mini retreat where they can rest and where they can sit around a campfire and where they can tell stories and where they can eat and be refilled. But in the story, that's not what happens. It says when they get off of the boat, there's masses of people, thousands of people running down the road, streaming in front of them, blocking their path. It says they were pursued by people with deep needs. And so Jesus responds, and we're told he teaches them many things, and he feeds the people both spiritually and physically, and more importantly, and this is what the story is really about, he invites the disciples to participate in what's happening. And so uh, as we move through this passage this morning, and we're taking a look at this idea that God is always at work around us, but do we know that in the core of our being, and are we living out of that? Let's pay attention to this story, because this is the very lesson that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. And so I'm going to keep calling you to pay attention and to notice certain things in the story. And the first thing I want to call you to pay attention to is to notice that this story begins with an interruption. And I don't know how you feel about that word, interruption, but typically for me, that's not a very positive word. You know, if Janet says, my beloved wife says, babe, you're interrupting me, that's usually not a good thing. That's usually a sign I'm not paying attention. I'm not doing something right. We don't like to be interrupted. We don't like for our plans to be interrupted. It's a negative word most of the time. And yet, This story begins with a very clear interruption. Jesus and his disciples are tired and hungry. Their plan is to go off and find a quiet place and to rest and eat together and be together and talk together. And that sounds like a good and spiritual plan. And keep in mind, it was Jesus' plan. But verse 33 says, 
Many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Again, they're, if you can picture in your mind's eye, the Jesus and the 12 disciples getting out of the boat, excited to go on retreat, tired and hungry, and you see thousands of people going ahead of you to block your path. And you imagine in that moment, if you were a disciple and you were hungry and tired, what would you be feeling? What would you be thinking in that moment? Verse 34, though, says, Jesus saw this huge crowd as he stepped out from the boat, and he had compassion on them. And I don't know about you, but I think I can honestly say compassion wouldn't be the first word that would come to mind if my plans like that were being interrupted. I'd be more like frustrated, annoyed, maybe angry. But Jesus, fully man, fully God, has compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And there's a very important lesson here as we lean into spiritual life because one important mark of spiritual maturity is understanding that at the heart of spiritual life is embracing interruption. And this is really a point where we differentiate between what we believe or what we think in our head and we believe in our heart because we would all say, yes, I believe God's at work creating a bigger story around me. But then I go, but how do you feel about interruption in your life? You see, this is the beginning of what it looks like in real time to recognize that God is shaping a story around you that is often, and I would dare say, almost always disruptive in nature. Eugene Peterson, in his book, The Contemplative Pastor, says this, the assumption of spirituality is that always God is doing something before I know it. So the task is not to get God to do something I think needs to be done, but to become aware of what God is doing so that I can respond to it and participate in it and take delight in it. We were made to respond and delight and participate in a bigger story. Not convince God to participate in our plans, but the question for us, how do you experience interruptions in your life? And how you answer that question, it really is a marker of how much you really believe that God is at work around you. And if you're like me, then you're prone to frustration and anger when things don't go according to plan. And I'll be the first to raise my hand, and Janet would say, pick up your other hand too, babe. You know, touchdown. You're, you're actually terrible at that. Um, and I am. I'm so impatient, and I can be so unkind and I can so be my worst self when I have a plan and things aren't going according to, to plan. Even in stupid small things, we're inviting people to dinner. And, you know, this is a true story. I made pizza for people who were coming over, but I forgot to refrigerate the yeast from a year ago. And when I made the, the bread dough, I made it in the morning. And by the time it got to the afternoon, guess what? It was flat. And I thought, oh, no. My plan didn't work out, and I wish I could say I embraced that <laughs> with a godly countenance and a holy demeanor, but instead, uh, Janet would tell you, I was super frustrated and super angry and super unkind, and why is that? 
It's not just because there's flaws in my character, though there's many. It actually is in the realm of belief, is that I fail to believe even in a small moment like that, that God is shaping a context and a story, and it's okay if the bread dough doesn't work out. Maybe that wasn't the plan for the evening. What if there's a plan beyond the plan you know about? What if things not working out is actually everything working out? just not in the time or the way you imagined. The second thing to notice in this story is that the divine interruption uh, in God's bigger work is centered on human need. You see, if you want to know where God is, if you're saying in your life right now, I don't know where God is, I'm not experiencing him, I can't find him, God is always with people. And so much of the time, God is present with people in need. Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? Because that's where the presence of God is, is when we know that we have need. Somehow God shows up. And I want to point out two needs that the people have. First, there's a spiritual need. Verse 34, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And so Jesus' plan is interrupted. Remember that. And remember, he too, he's fully human. He's tired. He's hungry. And he sees the people. But in that moment, he forgets himself He lays down his agenda, he lays his plan, and he sees others, and he sees their deep need, and he has compassion. That word compassion is such a powerful word. Do you know what it means? To come alongside someone in suffering. It's what compassion is. And so Jesus comes alongside those in need because he was moved deeply. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they were spiritually lost. And so seeing their need, Jesus drops his agenda and began teaching them many things. And I've often wondered, what were the many things he was teaching them? Oh, to be on that hillside on that day. And so in this moment, I just want you to think about the reality that if it's true, God is always at work around you. That there's people in your world just like there were on that hillside, who are spiritually hungry. And maybe those are your neighbors, maybe your family members, your friends, somebody at work, but they're spiritually lost people who are living in darkness without hope in this world. And when they interrupt you and keep you from your plan, do you seize it as an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to have compassion to come alongside in suffering, or do you just simply see it, as I do so often, as an interruption to my plans and an annoyance? And remember that the disciples are watching all of this taking place, and I wonder how they felt about it. Because remember, they're also tired and hungry, and I imagine that they're annoyed, and I kind of have created this dialogue in my mind that's not in the scriptures, but I just imagine as they get off the boat, and as they see Jesus start to teach, and Jesus start to lay down the plan, they start to realize, we're not going on the retreat. We're not getting dinner. Jesus, let's wrap this up and get back to the retreat day. That was the plan. 
And so that's the context I imagine for the next part of the story, verse 35. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, it's already getting late, send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages to buy something to eat. And here we see another need. Not only do the people have a spiritual need, but now the disciples notice that they have a physical need for food as well. And I imagine that it really wasn't with their eyes they were seeing this need, it was with their stomachs. They were going, man, we are starting to hurt. We're so hungry. We're starting to get really hangry at this moment. How many hangry people do we have? We're getting close to lunchtime. You get hangry. You're not at your best. And so I think they see the need because they're feeling it too. And so it's out of this posture uh, that they say, hey, Jesus, let's just send them away and have them meet their own need. That sounds like a good plan to me. And so you see the disciples going to God and saying, let's just send them away. We've got it planned. Let's get back to what we were doing. Verse 37, we see another interruption. Jesus says, you feed them. Can you imagine what was going on in the hearts and minds of the disciples? Hungry, tired, fed up with the lack of planning happening in this ministry moment. And so I read a lot of emotion into the disciples' uh, response to Jesus because the scriptures say they respond with what? And I read like six exclamation marks in red behind that of like anger and frustration and annoyance and like we don't have anything, Jesus. You're way off the plan. We have nothing to offer The sun's going down. What are you doing? You see, they still didn't get it because their mindset was still stuck in the place where their plans, their resources, their abilities were at the center of the universe. You see, in their broken humanity, they continued to miss what Jesus was trying to teach them, that God is always at work interrupting our plans and inviting us, regardless of our lack of resources, to join him in his work. Do you resonate with that? Because when I read this, like I resonated deeply. They didn't get it because their mind was still on themselves. And how often is that true for us, that we're stuck in our little stories? And when we get stuck in our little stories and we begin to look at the Uh, tragedies in our own lives and the suffering in our own lives and we can't see beyond that and we can't grasp that there's a bigger story happening all around us. It's super depressing. But you see, Jesus isn't content to leave us in a little story. He's constantly trying to invite us into God's bigger reality. And so Jesus, unwavering in his faithfulness, responds to their with what? With a question of invitation, verse 38 how much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. He's getting a little directive here, but here's what he's saying. When you become aware of need, the next thing to notice is what you have. And friends, this is the invitation of God to all of us, that you're living in the context where God is at work all around you, doing big things, He's redeeming all of creation every single day. 
And every morning when you wake up, you wake up to a work underway that God has continued to be at work. He's continuing to shape his realities in the world. And when you wake up, he wants to invite you to join him in that work. But first, you have to be able to see like Jesus saw and see people and see need. But then secondly, you have to be willing to see that you have something to offer, something to bring to the work. And I think so many of us don't believe that we have anything to offer when it comes to joining God in his work. We see a need, we see people, and our hearts immediately go to a place where we believe lies. And, and I just, I'm going to name three that are lies for me when, when I'm tempted to believe that I'm seeing people and I'm seeing need and I'm sensing God inviting me out of my little story and into his bigger work that like I have reasons that I don't want to immediately go join them and they're not true, but they're lies I believe. And maybe some of these resonate with you. Maybe you have others, but here's mine. Number one, I don't have anything to offer. And some of you might be looking at me and, and there's this weird thing in church that when you're the guy that stands up here and teaches and preaches, you might think that I have everything together, but I don't. You might think I have it all figured out and that I never lack confidence, but it's not true. There's so often I get in my own story and I get drilled down into my little world and I think I have nothing to really offer. Am I very valuable at all? And maybe that's you too, that you see people, you see need, you feel an invitation from God, but you think, I don't really have anything to offer, but it's not true. Number two, I think, you know, even if I do have something to offer, I'm not really a leader. Maybe I shouldn't go first. Maybe I should wait for somebody else to initiate. But you see, God uses humble people. He uses ordinary people. He uses broken fishermen and invites them into doing extraordinary things. And it's true that he's inviting us to be leaders, to see need, and to step out in faith. Not having everything figured out, but maybe go first to join him in his work. Number three, I believe, even if I have something, even if I'm uh, called to leadership in it, I don't have enough because the needs I see in people and in circumstances and physical needs and spiritual needs and relational needs, it's all just too much and what I have isn't enough. But you see, all these lies, whatever they are, are rooted in a deeper posture where we believe that not only do we not have anything to offer, but that there simply aren't enough resources in the world to meet the desperate needs that we notice. And so we convince ourselves this is just the way it is. And in our heart of hearts, we don't really believe God's making all things new. And we don't think he has what it takes either. And so in this way, we're prone to operate in a posture of scarcity. And the disciples totally operate this way. Notice what they said. They said, we don't have daylight. They say the day is now over. It's getting dark, Jesus. Number two, they say this is a desolate place. It's in the middle of nowhere. Send them away. Finally, they say, we don't have any money. Even if we saved up all our resources for a year, it wouldn't be enough to feed all of these people. But you see, Jesus doesn't let them get off of the hook, and he's not letting you off of the hook either. He says, what do you have? And if you are a follower of Jesus, the scriptures plainly teach that you have been given gifts by the Holy Spirit to participate in the activity of God in the world. 
And we don't have time to get into all the gifts and all the myriad of ways that this body sitting here is gifted immensely to participate in God's bigger story. Did you know that you were made for a purpose? And it's bigger than you could ever imagine possible. But a few of these gifts, just to name a few, there's gifts of giving, there's gifts of mercy, there's gifts of helping and teaching and leading and discerning and encouraging. Let's just sit with that one for a minute. How many people, how many neighbors, how many friends, how many family members are just discouraged in the world? And you say, well, all I have to really offer is encouragement, but you're not doing it. Because you might say it's not enough, it's insignificant, but what if God wants to take that meager offering of a word of encouragement, a text, a phone call, a visit, and he wants to do what he did with that bread and multiply it in the life of people, that they might know that he is God. There's gifts of hospitality, of inviting people to your home, of feeding them, of serving in administration and faith. God has gifted this body immensely, but we don't believe those things, and the disciples didn't either. And so Jesus rolls up his sleeves and shows the disciples what it looks like to respond to God's invitation to join him. And so they come back and report, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. I imagine pretty sarcastically. Verse 39, Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. And I want to just pause there for a second so you imagine being the disciples, you're tired, you're hungry, Jesus has got this crazy plan underway, and now he's told you to actively go amongst these thousands of people and begin to herd them into groups and have them sit down, and you don't know why. And there's an important lesson here in the life of the spiritual person, in the life of following Jesus, that so often Jesus calls us to obedience before he allows you to have understanding and so many of us are caught in our small stories. You're struggling, you're suffering, there's something happening in your life, and you're like, God, I just want to understand what's happening, and if I could just understand, then I would trust you. But that's not the way spiritual life in Christ works. Instead, he's saying, do the right next thing. Do the thing I'm asking you to do that doesn't seem to make any sense, but you know it's what I'm asking you to do. And for some of you, that was just showing up here this morning. Because for some of you, just showing up took a big step of faith. And I want to encourage you this morning that you're stepping out and responding to what God is doing, even in a small way, is so significant. Verse 41, Jesus takes the five loaves and two fish. He looks to heaven. He blesses them, which is saying a prayer, saying, God, Take simple things, take things that aren't enough, take things that are insignificant, and do your will with this thing. And so he prays over it. He kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. You see, God multiplied the insufficient resource, and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Notice Jesus responds to what he sees God doing, meeting people and their spiritual and physical needs by praying as an active participant in the plan that God is unfolding. God is always at work around you, but the question is, will you 
notice. He's saying, look outside of the smaller context of your problems and the things that are bothering you, your own frustrations, your own needs. And if we want to meet Jesus, we look outside of that to the bigger story where there's people and where there's needs and where there's God's holy activity in the world. And we're supposed to be like Jesus and to jump in as a praying participant. And so there's just three questions I want to leave you with to contemplate as you head into your week. Number one, who are the people around you? Sounds like a dumb question. Who are the people around you? But I want you to think about that. I want to encourage you to write down their names this week. Because if you're prayerfully doing that, guess what? God's going to bring to mind, I guarantee it, names. That might be a neighbor, coworker, friend, family member. Might be your spouse, might be your child. Who are the people in your world? Number two, the second question, what is it that they need? Again, really basic question, but how often do we fail to ask and look? What do the people around us need? Because we're so focused on ourselves, we're not looking. But you see, that's where God is. He's, he's with people, and he's, he's where people are hungry and tired, and where they're sheep without a shepherd. And the third question, what is it that you have? What do you have? I don't know what you have and whatever it is, I guarantee you, as you look at people in your world and you look at their need and you look at what you have, you go, it's insufficient. It's not enough. But God's not asking it to be enough. What he's saying is, would you trust me? And would you be willing to be a prayerful participant? So move toward people in your world. Give what you have. That might be time or friendship or hospitality or presence. It might be just one thing this week. And as you do those things, pray. Pray as you go. Pray as an active participant, not one who is a victim of circumstance and not one as the captain of your own ship, but as one who is a follower of Jesus, who's saying, Jesus, help me as I go. One who's saying, take this meager thing that I have. All I've got is an invitation to dinner. But take it and use it to change someone's life. You see, God is at work all around you in the circumstances of your life. Will you embrace that truth this week? Will you respond to it by noticing people and their needs? Will you pray, joining God in his work in your world? To Christ be the glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're at work. We thank you that you're writing a really big story. Lord, we thank you that pursuing you means taking our eyes off of ourself, just lifting our eyes and being willing to be interrupted. That if we want to experience you, Lord, we just look for where you are. And then we offer what we have. So, Lord, would you help us this week to do that in our frailty and in our brokenness, in our unbelief? Lord, would you prompt each person sitting here this morning, listening this morning, would you prompt each one of us by the power of your spirit with names from our world? Would you help us to see people around us and 
need? Would you help us to see what we have, Lord? And would you give us the gift of faith that we could step out courageously and join you, that we might see something amazing this side of eternity, to see your activity in the midst of a dying world. Thank you, God, that you are at work always. That is our hope. And we pray in your magnificent name, the name of Jesus. Amen.